0: CHAPTER 15 Mrs. Dashwood's visit to Lady Middleton took place the next day, and two of her daughters went with her, but Marianne excused herself from being of the party under some trifling pretext of employment, and her mother, who concluded that a promise had been made by Willoughby the night before of calling on her while they were absent, was perfectly satisfied with her remaining at home. On their return from the park, they found Willoughby's curricle and servant in waiting at the cottage, and mrs Dashwood was convinced that her conjecture had been just. So far it was all she had foreseen; but on entering the house she beheld what no foresight had taught her to expect. They were no sooner in the passage than Marianne came hastily out of the parlour, apparently in violent affliction, with her handkerchief at her eyes and without noticing them, ran upstairs. Surprised and alarmed, they proceeded directly into the room she had just quitted, where they found only Willoughby, who was leaning against the mantelpiece with his back towards them. He turned round on their coming in, and his countenance showed that he strongly partook of the emotion which overpowered Mary "'Is anything the matter with her?' cried Mrs. Dashwood as she entered. "'Is she ill?' "'I hope not,' he replied, trying to look cheerful, "'and with a forced smile presently added, "'It is I who may rather expect to be ill, "'for I am now suffering under a very heavy disappointment.' "'Disappointment?' "'Yes, for I am unable to keep my engagement with you. "'Mrs. Smith has this morning exercised the privilege of riches "'upon a poor dependent cousin "'by sending me on business to London.' "'I have just received my dispatches "'and taken my farewell of Allenham, "'and by way of exhilaration "'I am now come to take my farewell of you. "'To London, and are you going this morning?' "'Almost this moment.' "'This is very unfortunate, "'but Mrs. Smith must be obliged, "'and her business will not detain you "'from us long, I hope.' "'He colored as he replied. "'You are very kind,' "'but I have no idea of returning into Devonshire immediately. "'My visits to Mrs. Smith are never repeated within the twelve-month. "'And is Mrs. Smith your only friend? "'Is Allenham the only house in the neighbourhood to which you will be welcome? "'For shame, Willoughby, can you wait for an invitation here?' "'His colour increased, and with his eyes fixed on the ground, "'he only replied, "'You are too good.' Mrs. Dashwood looked at Eleanor with surprise. Eleanor felt equal amazement. For a few moments, everyone was silent. Mrs. Dashwood first spoke. "'I have only to add, my dear Willoughby, "'that at Barton Cottage you will always be welcome, "'for I will not press you to return here immediately, "'because you only can judge how far "'that might be pleasing to Mrs. Smith. "'And on this head I shall be no more disposed "'to question your judgment than to doubt your inclination.' "'My engagements at present,' replied Willoughby, confusedly, "'are of such a nature that I dare not flatter myself.' He stopped. Mrs. Dashwood was too much astonished to speak, and another pause succeeded. This was broken by Willoughby, who said with a faint smile, "'It is folly to linger in this manner. "'I will not torment myself any longer "'by remaining among friends whose society it is impossible,' for me now to enjoy. He then hastily took leave of them all and left the room. They saw him step into his carriage, and in a minute it was out of sight. Mrs. Dashwood felt too much for speech, and instantly quitted the parlor to give way in solitude to the concern and alarm which this sudden departure occasioned. Eleanor's uneasiness was at least equal to her mother's she thought of what had just passed with anxiety and distrust. Willoughby's behavior in taking leave of them, his embarrassment, and above all, his unwillingness to accept her mother's invitation, a backwardness so unlike a lover, so unlike himself, greatly disturbed her. One moment she feared that no serious design had ever been formed on his side, and the next, that some unfortunate quarrel had taken place between him and her sister, the distress in which Marianne had quitted the room was such as a serious quarrel could most reasonably account for, though, when she considered what Marianne's love for him was, a quarrel seemed almost impossible. But whatever might be the particulars of their separation, her sister's affliction was indubitable, and she thought with the tenderest compassion of that violent sorrow which Marianne was in all probability not merely giving way to as a relief, but feeding and encouraging as a duty. In about half an hour her mother returned, and though her eyes were red, her countenance was not uncheerful. "'Our dear Willoughby is now some miles from Barton, Eleanor,' said she, as she sat down to work, "'and with how heavy a heart does he travel? "'It is all very strange, so suddenly to be gone,' "'it seems but the work of a moment. "'And last night he was with us so happy, "'so cheerful, so affectionate. "'And now, after only ten minutes' notice, "'gone too, without intending to return. "'Something more than what he owned to us must have happened. "'He did not speak, he did not behave like himself. "'You must have seen the difference as well as I. "'What can it be? "'Can they have quarreled?' "'Why else should he have shown such unwillingness "'to accept your invitation here?' "'It was not inclination that he wanted Eleanor. "'I could plainly see that. "'He had not the power of accepting it. "'I have thought it all over, I assure you, "'and I can perfectly account for everything "'that at first seemed strange to me as well as to you. "'Can you indeed?' "'Yes. "'I have explained it to myself in the most satisfactory way.' "'But you, Eleanor, who love to doubt where you can, "'it will not satisfy you, I know. "'But you shall not talk me out of my trust in it. "'I am persuaded that Mrs. Smith suspects his regard for Marianne, "'disapproves of it, perhaps because she has other views for him, "'and on that account is eager to get him away, "'and that the business which she sends him off to transact "'is invented as an excuse to dismiss him. "'That is what I believe to have happened,' He is, moreover, aware that she does disapprove the connection. He dares not, therefore, at present, confess to her his engagement with Marianne, and he feels himself obliged, from his dependent situation, to give in to her schemes, and absent himself from Devonshire for a while. You will tell me, I know, that this may or may not have happened. But I will not listen to it, unless you can point out any other method of understanding the affair as satisfactory at this." "'And now, Eleanor, what have you to say?' "'Nothing, for you have anticipated my answer. "'Then you would have told me that it might or might not have happened. "'Oh, Eleanor, how incomprehensible are your feelings! "'You would rather take evil upon credit than good. "'You would rather look out for misery for Marianne "'and guilt for poor Willoughby than an apology for the latter.' you are resolved to think him blamable, because he took leave of us with less affection than his usual behavior has shown. And is no allowance to be made for his inadvertence or for his spirits depressed by recent disappointment? Are no probabilities to be accepted merely because they are not certainties? Is nothing due to the man whom we have all such reason to love and no reason in the world to think ill of? To the possibility of motives unanswerable in themselves— though unavoidably secret, for a while. And, after all, what is it you suspect him of? I can hardly tell myself, but suspicion of something unpleasant is the inevitable consequence of such an alteration as we just witnessed in him. There is great truth, however, in what you have now urged of the allowances which ought to be made for him, and it is my wish to be candid in my judgment of everybody. "'Willoughby may undoubtedly have very sufficient reasons for his conduct, "'and I will hope that he has. "'But it would have been more like Willoughby to acknowledge them at once. "'Secrecy may be advisable, "'but still I cannot help wondering at its being practiced by him. "'Do not blame him, however, for departing from his character, "'where the deviation is necessary. "'But you really do admit the justice of what I have said in his defense.' I am happy, and he is acquitted. Not entirely. It may be proper to conceal their engagement, if they are engaged, from Mrs. Smith. And if that is the case, it must be highly expedient for Willoughby to be but little in Devonshire at present. But this is no excuse for their concealing it from us. Concealing it from us? My dear child, do you accuse Willoughby and Marianne of concealment? This is very strange indeed, when your eyes have been reproaching them every day for incautiousness. "'I want no proof of their affection,' said Eleanor, "'but of their engagement I do. "'I am perfectly satisfied of both. "'Yet not a syllable has been said to you on the subject by either of them. "'I have not wanted syllables where actions have spoken so plainly. "'Has not his behavior to Marianne and to all of us for at least the last fortnight, declared that he loved and considered her as his future wife, and that he felt for us the attachment of the nearest relation. Have we not perfectly understood each other? Has not my consent been daily asked by his looks, his manner, his attentive and affectionate respect? My Eleanor, is it possible to doubt their engagement? How could such a thought occur to you? How is it to be supposed that Willoughby, "'persuaded, as he must be, of your sister's love, "'should leave her, and leave her perhaps for months, "'without telling her of his affection, "'that they should part without a mutual exchange of confidence.' "'I confess,' replied Eleanor, "'that every circumstance except one "'is in favour of their engagement. "'But that one is the total silence of both on the subject, "'and with me it almost outweighs every other.' "'How strange this is! "'You must think wretchedly, indeed, of Willoughby, "'if, after all that is openly passed between them, "'you can doubt the nature of the terms on which they are together. "'Has he been acting a part in his behavior to your sister all this time? "'Do you suppose him really indifferent to her?' "'No, I cannot think that. "'He must and does love her, I am sure.' "'but with such a strange kind of tenderness "'if he can leave her with such indifference, "'such carelessness of the future as you attribute to him. "'You must remember, my dear mother, "'that I have never considered this matter as certain. "'I have had my doubts, I confess, "'but they are fainter than they were, "'and they may soon be entirely done away. "'If we find they correspond, "'every fear of mine will be removed.' "'A mighty concession, indeed,' If you were to see them at the altar, you would suppose they were going to be married. Ungracious girl! But I require no such proof. Nothing, in my opinion, has ever passed to justify doubt. No secrecy has been attempted. All has been uniformly open and unreserved. You cannot doubt your sister's wishes. It must be Willoughby, therefore, whom you suspect. But why? Is he not a man of honor and feeling?' "'Has there been any inconsistency on his side to create alarm? "'Can he be deceitful?' "'I hope not. I believe not,' cried Eleanor. "'I love Willoughby, sincerely love him, "'and suspicion of his integrity cannot be more painful to yourself than to me. "'It has been involuntary, and I will not encourage it.' "'I was startled, I confess, by the alteration in his manners this morning. "'He did not speak like himself.' "'and he did not return your kindness with any cordiality. "'But all this may be explained "'by such a situation of his affairs as you have supposed. "'He had just parted from my sister, "'had seen her leave him in the greatest affliction, "'and if he felt obliged from a fear of offending Mrs. Smith "'to resist the temptation of returning here soon, "'and yet aware that by declining your invitation, "'by saying that he was going away for some time, "'he should seem to act as ungenerous.' a suspicious part, by our family, he might well be embarrassed and disturbed. In such a case, a plain and open avowal of his difficulties would have been more to his honour, I think, as well as more consistent with his general character. But I will not raise objections against anyone's conduct on so illiberal a foundation, as a difference in judgment from myself, or deviation from what I may think right and consistent. "'You speak very properly. "'Willoughby certainly does not deserve to be suspected. "'Though we have not known him long, "'he is no stranger in this part of the world, "'and who has ever spoken to his disadvantage? "'Had he been in a situation to act independently "'and marry immediately, "'it might have been odd that he should leave us "'without acknowledging everything to me at once. "'But this is not the case. "'It is an engagement in some respects "'not prosperously begun,' for their marriage must be at a very uncertain distance, and even secrecy, as far as it can be observed, may now be very advisable. They were interrupted by the entrance of Margaret, and Eleanor was then at liberty to think over the representations of her mother, to acknowledge the probability of many, and hope for the justice of all. They saw nothing of Marianne till dinner-time, when she entered the room and took her place at the table without saying a word. Her eyes were red and swollen, and it seemed as if her tears were even then restrained with difficulty. She avoided the looks of them all, could neither eat nor speak, and after some time on her mother's silently pressing her hand with tender compassion, her small degree of fortitude was quite overcome. She burst into tears and left the room. This violent oppression of spirits continued the whole evening, she was without any power because she was without any desire of command over herself. The slightest mention of anything relative to Willoughby overpowered her in an instant, and though her family were most anxiously attentive to her comfort, it was impossible for them, if they spoke at all, to keep clear of every subject which her feelings connected with him. Chapter 16 Marianne would have thought herself very inexcusable had she been able to sleep at all the first night after parting from Willoughby; she would have been ashamed to look her family in the face the next morning, had she not risen from her bed in more need of repose than when she lay down in it; but the feelings which made such composure a disgrace left her in no danger of incurring it. She was awake the whole night, and she wept the greatest part of it; she got up with a headache, was unable to talk, and unwilling to take any nourishment, giving pain every moment to her mother and sisters, and forbidding all attempt at consolation from either. Her sensibility was potent enough. When breakfast was over, she walked out by herself, and wandered about the village of Allenham, indulging the recollection of past enjoyment, and crying over the present reverse for the chief of the morning. The evening passed off in the equal indulgence of feeling. She played over every favorite song that she had been used to play to Willoughby, every air in which their voices had been oftenest joined, and sat at the instrument gazing on every line of music that he had written out for her, till her heart was so heavy that no farther sadness could be gained, and this nourishment of grief was every day applied. She spent whole hours at the pianoforte alternately singing and crying, her voice often totally suspended by her tears, In books, too, as well as in music, she courted the misery which a contrast between the past and present was certain of giving. She read nothing but what they had been used to read together. Such violence of affliction, indeed, could not be supported forever. It sunk within a few days into a calmer melancholy. But these employments, to which she daily recurred, her solitary walks and silent meditations... "'still produced occasional effusions of sorrow as lively as ever. "'No letter from Willoughby came, and none seemed expected by Marianne. "'Her mother was surprised, and Eleanor again became uneasy. "'But Mrs. Dashwood could find explanations whenever she wanted them, "'which at least satisfied herself. "'Remember, Eleanor,' said she, "'how very often Sir John fetches our letters himself from the post "'and carries them to it.' "'We have already agreed that secrecy may be necessary, "'and we must acknowledge that it could not be maintained "'if their correspondence were to pass through Sir John's hands.' "'Eleanor could not deny the truth of this, "'and she tried to find in it a motive sufficient for their silence. "'But there was one method, so direct, so simple, "'and in her opinion so eligible of knowing the real state of the affair, "'and of instantly removing all mystery,' "'that she could not help suggesting it to her mother. "'Why do you not ask Marianne at once?' said she, "'whether she is or she is not engaged to Willoughby. "'From you, her mother, and so kind, so indulgent a mother, "'the question could not give offence. "'It would be the natural result of your affection for her. "'She used to be all on reserve, and to you more especially. "'I would not ask such a question for the world,' Supposing it possible that they are not engaged, what distress would not such an inquiry inflict? At any rate, it would be most ungenerous. I should never deserve her confidence again, after forcing from her a confession of what is meant at present to be unacknowledged to any one. I know Marianne's heart. I know that she dearly loves me, and that I shall not be the last to whom the affair is made known when circumstances make the revealment of it eligible. I would not attempt to force the confidence of any one, of a child much less, because a sense of duty would prevent the denial which her wishes might direct. Eleanor thought this generosity overstrained, considering her sister's youth, and urged the matter farther, but in vain. Common sense, common care, common prudence were all sunk in Mrs. Dashwood's romantic delicacy, It was several days before Willoughby's name was mentioned before Marianne by any of her family. Sir John and Mrs. Jennings, indeed, were not so nice. Their witticisms added pain to many a painful hour. But one evening, Mrs. Dashwood, accidentally taking up a volume of Shakespeare, exclaimed, "'We have never finished Hamlet, Marianne. Our dear Willoughby went away before he could get through it. We will put it by that when he comes again,' "'but it may be months, perhaps, before that happens.' "'Months,' cried Marianne, with strong surprise. "'No, nor many weeks.' "'Mrs. Dashwood was sorry for what she had said, "'but it gave Eleanor pleasure, "'as it produced a reply from Marianne "'so expressive of confidence in Willoughby "'and knowledge of his intentions. "'One morning about a week after his leaving the country,' Marianne was prevailed on to join her sister in their usual walk, instead of wandering away by herself. Hitherto she had carefully avoided every companion in her rambles. If her sisters intended to walk on the downs, she directly stole away towards the lanes. If they talked of the valley, she was as speedy in climbing the hills, and could never be found when the others set off. But at length she was secured by the exertions of Eleanor, who greatly disapproved such continual seclusion. They walked along the road through the valley, and chiefly in silence, for Marianne's mind could not be controlled, and Eleanor, satisfied with gaining one point, would not then attempt more. Beyond the entrance of the valley, where the country, though still rich, was less wild and more open, a long stretch of the road which they had travelled on first coming to Barton lay before them, and on reaching that point they stopped to look round them and examined a prospect which formed the distance of their view from the cottage, from a spot which they had never happened to reach in any of their walks before. Amongst the objects in the scene, they soon discovered an animated one. It was a man on horseback riding towards them. In a few minutes they could distinguish him to be a gentleman, and in a moment afterwards Marianne rapturously exclaimed... "'It is he! It is indeed, I know it is!' "'and was hastening to meet him, when Eleanor cried out, "'Indeed, Marianne, I think you are mistaken. "'It is not Willoughby. "'That person is not tall enough for him, and has not his air. "'He has! He has!' cried Marianne. "'I am sure he has. "'His air, his coat, his horse. "'I knew how soon he would come.' "'She walked eagerly on as she spoke,' And Eleanor, to screen Marianne, as she felt almost certain of its not being Willoughby, quickened her pace and kept up with her. They were soon within thirty yards of the gentleman. Marianne looked again. Her heart sunk within her, and abruptly turning round, she was hurrying back, when the voices of both her sisters were raised to detain her. A third, almost as well known as Willoughby's, joined them in begging her to stop. And she turned round with surprise, to see and welcome Edward Farrow's. He was the only person in the world who could at that moment be forgiven for not being Willoughby, the only one who could have gained a smile from her. But she dispersed her tears to smile on him, and in her sister's happiness forgot for a time her own disappointment. He dismounted, and giving his horse to his servant, walked back with them to Barton, whither he was purposely coming to visit them. He was welcomed by them all with great cordiality, but especially by Marianne, who showed more warmth of regard in her reception of him than even Eleanor herself. To Marianne, indeed, the meeting between Edward and her sister was but a continuation of that unaccountable coldness which she had often observed at Norland in their mutual behavior. On Edward's side, more particularly, there was a deficiency of all that a lover ought to look and say on such an occasion. He was confused, seemed scarcely sensible of pleasure in seeing them, said little but what was forced from him by questions, and distinguished Eleanor by no mark of affection. Marianne saw and listened with increasing surprise. She began almost to feel a dislike of Edward, and it ended, as every feeling must end, with her, by carrying back her thoughts to Willoughby, whose manners formed a contrast sufficiently striking to those of his brother-elect. After a short silence, which succeeded the first surprise and inquiries of meeting, Marianne asked Edward if he came directly from London. No, he had been in Devonshire a fortnight. A fortnight, she repeated, surprised at his being so long in the same county with Eleanor without seeing her before. He looked rather distressed, as he added that he had been staying with some friends near Plymouth. "'Have you been lately in Sussex?' said Eleanor." "'I was in Norland about a month ago.' "'And how does dear, dear Norland look?' cried Marianne. "'Dear, dear Norland,' said Eleanor, "'probably looks much as it always does at this time of the year, "'the woods and walks thickly covered with dead leaves.' "'Oh!' cried Marianne, "'with what transporting sensation have I formerly seen them fall? "'How have I delighted, as I walked, "'to see them driven in showers about me by the wind?' What feelings have they, the season, the air altogether inspired? Now there is no one to regard them. They are seen only as a nuisance, swept hastily off, and driven as much as possible from the sight. It is not everyone, said Eleanor, who has your passion for dead leaves. No, my feelings are not often shared, not often understood. But sometimes they are and as she said this, she sunk into a reverie for a few moments. But rousing herself again, "'Now, Edward,' said she, calling his attention to the prospect, "'here is Barton Valley. Look up to it, and be tranquil if you can. Look at those hills. Did you ever see their equals? To the left is Barton Park, amongst those woods and plantations. You may see the end of the house. And there, beneath that farthest hill, which rises with such grandeur, is our cottage.' "'It is a beautiful country,' he replied, "'but these bottoms must be dirty in winter. "'How can you think of dirt with such objects before you?' "'Because,' replied he, smiling, "'among the rest of the objects before me, "'I see a very dirty lane.' "'How strange,' said Marianne to herself as she walked on. "'Have you an agreeable neighborhood here? "'Are the Middletons pleasant people?' "'No, not all,' answered Marianne. "'We could not be more unfortunately situated. "'Marianne,' cried her sister, "'how can you say so? "'How can you be so unjust? "'They are a very respectable family, Mr. Farrow's, "'and towards us have behaved in the friendliest manner. "'Have you forgot, Marianne, "'how many pleasant days we have owed to them?' "'No,' said Marianne, in a low voice, "'nor how many painful moments.' Eleanor took no notice of this, and directing her attention to their visitor, endeavored to support something like discourse with him by talking of their present residence, its conveniences, etc., extorting from him occasional questions and remarks. His coldness and reserve mortified her severely. She was vexed and half-angry. But resolving to regulate her behavior to him by the past, rather than the present, She avoided every appearance of resentment or displeasure and treated him as she thought he ought to be treated from the family connection. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.